We've had a, a couple of things this morning that have been very appropriate for the season. As we, uh, as we talked about, um, as I mentioned, that this Advent time, the, the lighting of the candles in succession over the four weeks of Advent is a picture for us of this growing light, this growing anticipation of Christ. Uh, we thought we would add to the darkness by having the bulb and our projector overhead going out. And so in a very timely way, uh, that has taken place, which is why we're, we're using this one down here. We're thankful for the Marin School that we partner with that they were able to jump in and help us out this morning. It's also why we're still in, a, in rows. If you've been here recently, then you know we've been circling up as a family and we'll, uh, we, we value that very much. I want to throw out a question for you to discuss with uh, people around you and then I'll get some stuff set up myself. But um, what is the most wilderness area that you have ever been in, whether you camped there or you lived there, uh, something like that. Describe to the people around you what was that wilderness area like for you, all right? Go ahead and discuss. Introduce yourself if you don't already know each other. attention back up here who would like to just just raise your hand and, and tell me where was your wilderness and and what what was it like and this is like an auction if you flinch I'm gonna call on you and expect you have something to share what was what was a wilderness for you say, say it again oh wow okay Any place there's no Wi-Fi. <laughs> I wondered if someone would say that or the four days that PG&E shut off the power. Yes, that would. <laughs> very, very true. All right. What else? What was a wilderness for you? Backpacking in the top of mountains. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. Backpacking anywhere. Backpacking anywhere. <laughs> yeah. Anywhere there's not running water. Can we agree that could in some ways feel like a wilderness? Maybe. How many of you love the wilderness, but just for a season, like a really brief? Yeah, like, yeah. How many of you, your wilderness is the Hilton? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's, that's what I thought. Um, yeah, hotel some sort. Um, we've got our, our high school students up in the, in the balcony. Um, you might be thinking of the wilderness as this week upcoming or two weeks upcoming as you prepare for final exams and, and things like that. Can we agree that just wilderness seasons come upon us? Uh, sometimes we enter into them kicking and screaming. Uh, sometimes we go into them with a sense of anticipation. Um, more on the wilderness in just a moment. Last week was our, the first week of Advent. Uh, we, uh, we talked about how uh, we have a, this is a time for us to prepare. Advent is a season for, of, of preparation. Uh, Advent means the arrival of Christ, is, is representing the arrival of Christ. And this is an opportunity for us um, to prepare for his second coming but also for the many ways that he comes to us in our everyday ordinary lives. God loves us, he pursues us, 
he wants to break through in our day today? What is the way that, that he wants to break through in your day tomorrow? And how can we prepare ourselves to receive him and to recognize him? Could it be that he's been breaking through, but we were so unprepared that we didn't even recognize him? Um, we, we talked about last week from Romans 13 that Paul gave us kind of a two uh, two-pronged response in our preparation. One is to wake up and the second one is to get dressed. And it was a picture of waking up to the reality that is around us, that we are in a specific time of, of our lives. Uh, the, the word that's used in the Bible is kairos for that type of season that we find ourselves in. And as we are in that season, sometimes we need people around us to help wake us up to what is really going on in our lives and how we can better engage in it. And then get dressed, clothe ourselves in Christ, uh, where gentleness, joy, meekness, love, these things, we are surrounding ourselves with these characteristics of Christ. Uh, for today, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 3, and in particular, a character by the name of John the Baptist. And our call to prepare today involves entering the wilderness and being baptized entering the wilderness and being baptized. So we'll read our passage in Matthew 3. Uh, if you have been following along, this passage will be familiar, and also the Isaiah 11 passage that was read earlier. We have more of these bookmarks that have the Advent Scripture references on the back. We have those in the back. If you would like to pick one up on the way out, you can also go to our website. Uh, baymarin.org. If you click on that opening banner that says a call to prepare, uh, it will take you to these same scripture references. The bookmark for me, I don't, I, I still kind of tend to just click on what we have on the website, but I put this in a prominent place that just reminds me, okay, okay this is a this is the way I want to start my day, or this is, uh, I want this portion of my day to include a time where I slow down and I read. And so if this is helpful for you, just as a reminder, take one of these bookmarks, place it in the middle of your kitchen table, um, on your bathroom mirror, uh, maybe on your desk at work, something like that. If you are, um, unless you're a boss monitoring the work that your employees do, then don't put this on your, on your desk at work. <laughs> but uh, what a great way to, to press pause in this uh, hectic season and engage in that. Um, so Matthew 3, the reading for, for this week included Matthew 3, 1 through 12. I'm going to focus our attention on the first six verses of that, and I'll read through a little bit and give a little bit of uh, commentary as we go. Um, if you read that whole passage, you will notice that in uh, verses 7 through 12, John the Baptist has some really harsh things to say. He calls a group of people a brood of vipers, and he tells them that he's going to, uh, that if they don't bear fruit, that they're going to be chopped down and cast into the fire. And I read that and uh, I was watching Elf earlier uh, in the week too. And I thought, John the Baptist is kind of like the angry elf um, in this passage. <laughs> but what I want you to remember is that um, John the Baptist knew his audience. And he was talking to a group of people, um, many of them, not all of them, but many of them would be what we would describe today as they grew up in church. And not just growing up in church, but they were the, the pastors and the elders and the faith community leaders of their church. Uh, but they were not really living um, their lives in a way that was bearing fruit. And so he had some pretty harsh words to say to those people um, in particular. But he begins with, uh, with a few words. And, and yes, he is kind of a straight, straight to the point, direct 
preacher of sorts. And so let's pick this up in verse 1. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching the wilderness of Judea, in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. A couple of things here. Um, John the Baptist, this doesn't have anything to do with like a religious de denomination. Um, it's not like he would have been John the Lutheran uh, or something if he had gone to a different church. He was known as John the Baptist as, because, as we will see, people were going to him to be baptized, to be immersed into this new way of living. Um, and uh, just to explain uh, some of these verses, uh, some of these words in verse 2, repent is talking about changing your mind or have a change of perspective for the kingdom is at hand. And what he's talking about is the kingdom of heaven is right here. It's on earth. And I want you to have the eyes to see that the heavenly kingdoms are available to us right now among us. He is saying, um, have this change of perspective. The kingdom of heaven is all around you. And sometimes we need those people to remind us in the midst of the darkness that there is a growing light, that yes, indeed, heaven is all around us. Um, there is a kind of a combination of reality and truth that he brings in this. And it's important for us in this time of year. The reality is we live in a broken world. The truth is God redeems those that are broken. God redeems a broken world. The truth is Gary contributes to the brokenness. The reality is Gary contributes to the brokenness. The truth is that God still loves me with an unconditional love, even in those seasons of my life. The reality is that you might be in a very vulnerable, scary, dark place. The truth is that you are not alone. God promises that he is with you in that moment. So John is saying, okay, there's a reality among us, but I also want you to know that there is a truth that is entering into this world right now. And he's saying, I want you to have a change of perspective. I want you to put on a different set of glasses that allows you to see that this kingdom of heaven is actually available here on earth. Later we read in Matthew that Jesus gives us an example of uh, the model prayer. We might refer to it more as the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so what John the Baptist is saying is I want you to have a different change, a different way of looking at this world. Instead of just seeing the brokenness and the darkness, I want you to know that we have an opportunity to bring the light of Christ for a little bit of heaven to come into this earth. Verse 3, uh, this is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, speaking of John the Baptist, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Um, that's kind of an interesting picture that would have been real vivid for the people of that day, preparing the way of the Lord. Um, it, it was a it was a custom in that day that if you heard a king was coming to your town, you would send an envoy of people out to literally prepare the road for him, uh, for this king. Uh, they would fill in potholes. They would um, remove large stones. They would put up cones and flashing lights, directing all of the chariots over to the side as they did this construction work. Um, all of this they would do um, in saying it was kind of their way of saying we want the king to know that he is welcome here. We want to make this as welcoming as possible. 
And so John the Baptist is the one that was prophesied um, hundreds of years before by Isaiah. He is the voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. So this is a, this is a guy that's he's kind of out there, okay? Um, there are several ways that we could kind of picture him. Um, he is a straightforward, no-nonsense preacher for sure. He was edgy, did not pull any punches. He was a, a guy who lived on the margins, literally. He, um, he is someone who grew up in the city, but then is now living off the grid in West Moran. Okay, kind of get the, the idea of what's taking place here. Um, John the Baptist is not someone that you would put on a Christmas card. He is just, uh, he doesn't evoke that kind of warm, fuzzy feeling in, in, in any means. Um, interestingly, he kind of had one foot in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, and he was putting one foot down in the New, custom, uh, new Covenant, the New Testament. He was viewed as a prophet, often compared to Elijah who was one that was out in the wilderness. Um, his diet plan was a little interesting, but it was one that was common among the poor of his day. So when people thought of John the Baptist, they thought of someone, they associated him with the prophets of old and the poor. And this was the lifestyle that he entered into willingly. And um, again, quite a visual that will come to mind. Continue on verse five. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. And I said that uh, the kind of two-pronged message that he gives us about preparation is entering into the wilderness and being baptized. And I want to go back into this text and help us understand it a little bit more and then apply it to, uh, to our lives today. And so this, this word wilderness, in verse 1, in those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Um, to be sure, he did not have Wi-Fi. Um, he did not have a lot of the uh, common amenities that we would associate with a, a good life. Uh, but what we know just from the whole of Scripture is that the wilderness is a great metaphor. Sometimes it's literal, but sometimes it's referred to um, metaphorically. And it, it describes barren times, but also... Also, it is a place for preparation and for transformation. Uh, we see different characters in the Bible that encountered their own wilderness seasons, and they were always used by God in a powerful way to prepare them for whatever this next step was in their journey, and, um, and then to transform them. We know that uh, Moses, for example, was one who was prepared and transformed literally in the wilderness. He spent 40 days uh, 40 years in the wilderness prior to God using him to call the nation of Israel out of slavery. Um, you have people like Sarah, uh, Sarah who's uh, the wife of Abraham, and her wilderness was a barren womb. Uh, you have times in the nation of Israel when their wilderness was a time of famine. Uh, I think of Noah, and I wonder what kind of wilderness it was for him and all those years that he spent building a boat nowhere near a body of water. Um, Joseph in the Old Testament, his, uh, his wilderness took place when he was falsely accused and placed in jail. Uh, David was anointed king. Um, and I wonder what that wilderness was like for him. Though he was anointed king, he spent the next several years bowing to the current king 
having to submit himself in that way. For young Mary, uh, her wilderness was being pregnant outside of marriage and the way that she was viewed as such a, a social outcast in her community. Um, for Jesus himself, he was not immune to the wilderness and it was a place of temptation. Um, it, was, uh, it was a foreign land for each of these people, regardless of how they described their wilderness. So I've asked you, what would you, you know, what was a wilderness time that for you when you either you went camping or maybe you felt like where you lived was a wilderness experience. But can you just in the quiet of this moment, can you reflect on a wilderness season of your life? One that's described by barrenness or trials, uh, maybe various temptations. Um, Maybe it's a time of deep silence that has got you wondering, you know, is, is God really there right now? I'm crying out to him, but I'm not sure I'm hearing anything in response. What is the wilderness that you are in? And whatever your wilderness, I want you to know that it's a place where God advents. It's a place where God will arrive and he wants to meet us in those wilderness encounters. And as I said, sometimes the wilderness is a place that we, um, we are, are drug into, kicking and screaming. Uh, it, is a, it is something that we, would, we can think of anywhere else would, would be better than in this wilderness season. But as we're gonna see, sometimes we intentionally enter into a wilderness season. Um, I think what makes a wilderness so challenging is because the things that we rely on get stripped away. The things, the people and the stuff that make us feel secure get stripped away. The things that make us feel accepted, the things that make us feel uh, purposeful and important. In the wilderness, those things can be stripped away. And it's not just because God is, um, is a cosmic killjoy. He wants us to learn. He wants us to see through a different set of eyes that our acceptance and our security and our purpose comes from him. Verse five, it says, then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him. So here they are willingly going out into the wilderness. It was common in that day for people on the outskirts of town to go to the city. We see this a lot in scripture where people are, are making their way to Jerusalem, for example. But this is a different, uh, the, the, the river is starting to flow upstream. People are intrigued by what has taken place, what they are hearing that is going on out in this wilderness. And they are willingly entering into the wilderness. And so I want to mention just a couple of ways that you can intentionally enter into wilderness moments that will help prepare you and transform you and to better engage with God in those moments when he breaks through in your life. And the first one is just simply the wilderness of silence and stillness. In our culture, uh, I, I don't know that there is much more terrifying than being still and quiet. Uh, sometimes those are the things that can drive us absolutely nuts. I remember uh, with uh, a good friend of mine in Tampa, uh, Michael Medlin and we were talking about different spiritual practices that we could enter into that just kind of they might be uncomfortable to us but it kind of strips away some of the things that we have become dependent upon outside of God and a real simple challenge was for uh, for each of us let's let's drive to work without the radio on no talk radio no music not even worship music let's just 
experience silence in the car. And you got to know him to really get the full effect of this. But he is this um, this guy. He drives a big four wheel drive truck. He's from Arkansas. He um, perf- he ran uh, tri- uh, Ironman triathlon. So he's like this manly man. And he said that in his 10 minute drive to work in the silence, by the time he got to work, he was crying so hard he couldn't hardly drive anymore. And sometimes it's in the silence that it's not silent. It's in the silence that we begin to hear the things that we've tried to push off to the side. Um, In the older vehicles that I've driven, um, especially like this 1969 Ford truck that I inherited from my grandfather, one of the first things I did was put a radio in it because um, there were always so many sounds that the truck was making that I didn't know how to fix. But if I turned (laughs) off the radio... (laughs) It made it a lot more comfortable and easy to drive. Um, and I think we go through life and we want to turn up the radio. We want to make as much noise as we can because sometimes there's just that noise inside us that we really just, we're scared to address. We, it's a, it can be a real intimidating time. But rather than masking the emptiness of our soul, we can choose to enter into intentional times of wilderness of silence. Um, These Advent readings, these are opportunities for you to press pause, to um, to turn off the television, to silence your phone, to close your laptop, and in those few moments, very few moments, to commune with the Creator, to spend some time with Him in the silence. Um, Sometimes just slowing down, intentionally slowing down, is a way that we provide ourselves with this space for God's grace to enter in. If you are someone that is just, you find yourself constantly pushing and you don't know how to slow down, um, let me just suggest a practice for you. And this is gonna sound crazy in our society. Um, Dedicate one month to drive in the slow lane. I know, (gasps) crazy. Um, About a year ago, Um, I was just really disappointed with the anxiety that I was experiencing as I was driving and how frustrated I was getting with certain people that didn't understand that the speed limit was really posted and it meant like, really you should be doing like 10 or 15 over that. Um, And those people are always in front of me. Uh, So for one month, I drove in the slow lane on the interstate. Um, If I was in a position, if I was on a single lane road and there was a dotted line and I could pass, I chose not to, and it was one of the crazy hardest things I've ever done. But you know, by the end of that month, it it really opened up my eyes to some truths about myself, and I used that time to open up myself to God in a new way. I'd love to say that now I'm just this really calm, patient driver. Um, It's a a practice, it's a wilderness that I need to engage in again. Um, But what would it look like for you to intentionally slow down for this season of Advent. And just let yourself be in that. Um, On our website, if you go to the resources tab, there are some contemplative practices. And these are practical ways, doable ways for you to enter into the silence and the stillness. Uh, Some of them, uh, you can download an app on your phone and it directs you to the places where you can do that. Um, uh, Pray as you go is one of those. And that's something that I love to listen to sometimes in the car or sometimes just the beginning in my day. Um, There's others there, um, maybe uh, choosing one of them. 
But these spiritual practices really are, to reach back to what we were talking about just a few short weeks ago, when we enter into these intentional times of silence and solitude, we are climbing a tree to catch a fresh glimpse of Jesus. We are putting ourselves in a position like Zacchaeus where the crowd of people around us can kind of be put off to the side, out of our peripheral, so that we can better see Jesus as he's making his way to us. So as you enter into the wilderness for this Advent season, um, what tree could you climb? How could you catch a fresh glimpse of Jesus in this Advent season? I want to leave you with one practical way um, that you can enter into this, uh, this wilderness time. Um, and that's just through simply through a breath prayer. And there's kind of two ways that you can think of this. Um, it is a prayer that you can breathe, it's, uh, that you can pray in the rhythm of your own breathing. Um, on the inhale, what is an attribute of God that you want to dwell on, think about, meditate on? Um, it could be um, Father, Savior, Rock, Prince of Peace, something like that. So just on the natural inhale, you are to yourself saying that name, that attribute of God. And then on the exhale, what's a desire of your heart or a need in your life? Peace, healing, presence. So just through the breathing, this is something that we can do even in, when we are in conversation with other people. We can have this vertical dialogue going on at the same time that we engage with other people. How can you set aside time to practice a breath prayer? Maybe before you get out of bed in the morning, you recall what is that name of God that means so much to you in this season of your life? And maybe in this current wilderness, what's a, a need that you have that you can voice on the exhale? And just take some time to breathe that. Mine has been um, Prince of Peace Permeate. Prince of Peace Permeate. Um, anxiety is something that I've wrestled with for a long time, and there are certain seasons that it seems like it ramps up. Um, and just inviting God into those moments when I sense my heart racing, ironically, when I have a hard time catching my breath, a breath prayer is sometimes uh, one of the best things, uh, one of the best gifts that I can give myself. And in recent days, it's been Prince of Peace permeate. Just praying for his peace to filter into every corner of my life. What would your breath prayer be? And I would encourage you just uh, at some point later on today, beginning that and letting that become uh, just a way that you can intentionally enter into silence. Um, the other wilderness, uh, in addition to the silence and the stillness, John the Baptist talks about this opportunity of confession, the wilderness of confession. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. We enter into this wilderness of confession. And let me kind of tell you why I, uh, there's several things that are um, even... 
physiologically speaking, are very therapeutic in this. Um, there are a lot of benefits um, spiritually as well as physically um, and, and relationally. Confession is a very powerful uh, grace gift that God gives us. But I want to tell you that um, confession opens us up firsthand to the experience of God's love. Confession is kind of a way of saying, um, you know, hey, um, I'm going to I'm going to set aside my natural tendency to prove myself and to maintain this image. And confession is just kind of setting that off to the side and getting honest with God and saying, this is, this is really me. I know you've known it all along, but I want to confess to you. I want to admit to you that this is, this is really me. And all the striving that I've been doing to try and prove my worth to you, um, to earn your love. I'm setting that off to the side and I just, here I am, as I am. And see, if we're always striving to earn love, then what we get isn't love. It feels more like a paycheck. It's like something that we feel like is owed to us because we've done our part. And confession is where we just set that aside and we say, I, I know I don't deserve this, but since you're offering, I'll take it. <laughs> and that's when God extends his love to us. Um, if we don't confess, I don't really know that we know the depth of God's love for us. Um, I know that my wife loves me. And one of the ways that I know that I know she loves me is because she has shown love to me in my most unlovable moments. Not just when I knocked it out of the park with picking the, you know, some great date night or coming home with a gift or um, showering her with some form of love. But just in those moments, um, some really dark moments in our marriage where she chose to love me as I confessed to, hey, this is me. And she loved me anyway. I hope that my kids will experience what it is to be loved in the midst of confession. Um, and I know you long for that. For those of you that have kids, you want them to experience that same thing. And it's sometimes it is in the midst of our darkest moments that we realize that we are loved the most. Not that he loves us more at that time. We realize it more than those other times. And so think of this as a real invitation and an opportunity to be blessed. Enter into the wilderness of of confession. This could be an opportunity for you just between God and you to confess. It could be um, with the uh, presence of a good spiritual friend by your side that you confess to some things and then allow God to love you in those moments. Um, you are best prepared for the advent, the arrival of Jesus in your day-to-day -day life when you know that you know that you know that you are loved by him. I think you are better positioned to recognize the name that he calls you. It's his favorite name and it's beloved. And when we get to where we can hear our name as the beloved, um, we look forward to those advents, to the arrival of Christ in the day to day. Um, and then this other type of uh, preparation is baptism and uh, Jerusalem and Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Um, at Bay Marin, we um, 
we believe in this sacred rite of, of baptism. It is a powerful symbol of, of one who is saying, I am dying to my old way of life and I am being raised to a new life in Christ. The, the particular way that we practice that and symbolize that is, is through immersion. Now this word that is used here by John is baptizo, which means to immerse. And there are a couple of ways that this could be interpreted. And this is the point of what I'm about to say is not, I want to prove that the way we do baptisms is right and the other ways are wrong. I want it to actually, it's going to point to something far greater than that. Um, there was, a, there was a, a writing by a Greek poet in 200 BC, and I just happened to be reading the other day. I'm just kidding. <laughs> and uh, um, he was, it, what's interesting is he's a poet, but what he wrote was a recipe for making pickles. So I don't know if it was like a rhyming recipe or what, but, uh, but anyway, he was, a, he was known as being a poet. Um, but one of his writings was a recipe for making pickles. And he talks about, um, he uses two Greek words. He, um, you take the cucumber and you bapto it in boiling water, you dip it into boiling water, and then you baptizo it in that vinegar, vinegar solution. In other words, you place it in there and you let it soak in in such a way that a permanent change has taken place. What we are going for in this, to be baptized, is not just to be dipped in the water. It is our way of saying, we want Christ to permeate us. We want to immerse ourselves, not just in water. We want to immerse ourselves in a lifestyle where Jesus enters in and permeates everything we do. It changes us when we are immersed in him. In just a moment, in fact, Jane and team, if you want to make your way up, we're going to participate uh, in communion, and you'll have an opportunity um, to come down front and to take the bread that's symbolic of um, the body of Christ and to dip it into this cup of juice, which is, uh, represents his blood. But you'll notice something when you do. If you've done this uh, with us here, you've already seen this. Yes, we're going to dip it, but you see that it's permeated. This is soaking into. And as you prepare for communion today, I want this image to really be at the forefront of your thoughts. In fact, I just want you to close your eyes now, bow your heads if you need to, if it helps kind of remove some of the distraction. And I want you to imagine immersing yourself in Christ to the point that he gets into you. You're not just dipping a toe in the water of Christianity or religion. You are allowing yourself to be immersed for all of him to enter into all of you. <coughs> Father, I thank you that you, um, you will be sending your son to earth again. We are excited to celebrate um, his first coming later this month. We eagerly anticipate and prepare for his second arrival. 
But I thank you that you are a God who comes to us now and may you come to us and find us completely saturated in Jesus. Completely saturated in the way of life that Jesus modeled for us. Jesus, we thank you for offering your body and shedding your blood for us. We pause at this time to remember. In your name I pray, amen.